0: Good morning everyone. So today in the Christian year is Palm Sunday. It's a bookend on one side of Holy Week and it's marked by crowds of people shouting for Jesus to save them while waving palm branches. The other bookend is what we call Good Friday and it's marked by crowds of people shouting for Jesus to be crucified. In other words, these six days are about palms, Pitchforks and all the space between. Let me read the two scripture passages related to these two bookends Matthew 21 and Matthew 27. From Matthew 21, when they had come near to Jerusalem, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey and her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. And put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut palm branches from the trees and spread them before Jesus on the road. The crowds that went up ahead of him and those that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, or, Save us, Son of David. And they also shouted, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven, or... Please, for God's sake, save us, Jesus. From Matthew 27. Now at the festival, the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd, anyone whom they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. So Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word, word to him, Have nothing to do with that innocent man, for today I have suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to the crowd, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what should I do with Jesus? All of them said, Let him be crucified. Then he asked, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted, All the more, let him be crucified. Now, after these scriptures, it's hard to say. We hear the voice of God in the reading of these words like like we typically do. So I'll just say everything I just read sounds really true and a lot like the world that you and I experience. Amen. There are so many interesting things to talk about in these scriptures and the chapters surrounding them, Uh, but I want to keep it brief this morning as we're doing this Facebook Live message, so it'll be short. In return for a shorter sermon, I have some homework for you. Take these next six days and read the seven chapters of Matthew 21 through 27. Don't read the resurrection stuff yet. Instead, take off Saturday to reflect on what you've read, and then we'll be back together next Sunday to talk about resurrection. And to be honest, waiting to talk about resurrection feels right to me, because it's likely that here in Texas, we haven't even peaked with our COVID infections yet. We're still on the first half of the curve upward. We haven't made it to the back half yet. That's projected to happen in early May, so truly... We're in more of a Good Friday-type situation than we are an Easter Sunday-type situation right now. So, do yourself a favor. Read these scriptures. Don't read all the way to resurrection yet. We'll come back together on Sunday for that. Right now, though, I want to share three brief thoughts with you about this story that stick out to me. And all three have to do with the crowd, the people, those who are shouting in both stories. The people absolutely fascinate me because I see so much truth in them, I see so much of us in them, and why it might be that they embrace palm branches on one side of this and then pitchforks on the other. First, maybe the first reason the crowds turn on Jesus is because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. Ever since Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves, the crowds have been trying to make him king. And now they're hopeful as they watch him ride into Jerusalem, roughly following the pattern that kings and conquerors approaching a city would use. Maybe they think, all right, here finally comes our king. But the people should have noticed that some details are off compared to the typical royal procession. Rather than a war horse, Jesus rides on a lactating donkey with her baby beside her. Rather than the red carpet being rolled out, peasants are putting their jackets down. Rather than being flanked by a cabinet composed of Ivy League graduates, Jesus has hand-picked blue-collar laborers surrounding him. Maybe in their zeal to be free of Rome, the people uh, in the crowd didn't see what appears to be Jesus' political theater in order to expose the absurdity of so-called imperial power. Jesus doesn't meet their expectations because they're expecting something in the pattern of this world with its systems of violence and domination and destruction. And instead, he shows up with real power, which is to say, his power is the power to unmask and mock systems of domination and oppression. His power is the power to gather people under the banner of hope rather than fear. His power is the power to not control everything, but the power to endure everything, even being crucified. But this will likely not meet their or our expectations for a Messiah. The second detail I notice is that as tension increases throughout the week, the people turn to their old habit of scapegoating. The political powers, the Romans, really only want one thing, stability. You can keep your religion, your culture, whatever, just pay your taxes and be good citizens and don't start trouble. The religious leaders, they want the same thing, really, they want stability. Don't upset the status quo, keep paying your temple taxes, and don't get too fast and loose and creative with the teachings. Don't try to include people that we've clearly determined need to be left out of sacred community. But Jesus keeps talking about inaugurating a new kingdom, or a new kingdom, as we say around here, where the first are last and the last are first, where mourners are held tight against God's bosom, and the hungry are gathered from the east and west and eat alongside the rich. Jesus is the unstoppable force that, meet, that meets the seemingly immovable rock of maintaining the status quo. And the religious and political leaders convince the people that it's in their best interest to kill this one person, and they agree. The French philosopher Rene Girard has written about what humans tend to do when tensions and anxiety get too high. We scapegoat. We identify one person as the problem child. We refuse to see the systemic causes of problems, the structural causes of problems. And instead, we, bl- we place all the blame on one victim as the cause of our problems. It's at the beginning of our scriptures when Adam blames Eve, who blames the serpent. The Lenten season is a great time for us all to do uh, the reflective work on how we practice scapegoating individually and as a society. Rather than looking inward for culpability and responsibility, and rather than working for real change, we often project problems onto individuals or groups. For those of us who live with others, this is a great time to explore how we scapegoat one another in our families as we're all here in quarantine together in tight quarters. You might notice in your families and groups scapegoating taking place. As a society and even a world right now with a pandemic and an impending economic feces storm brewing, we can look for and name root causes rather than turn to the convenience of scapegoating, say, the Chinese Communist Party or, say, President Trump. As much as some of us might want to do that because truly real responsibility does lie there, we are also called to look inward and ask, what responsibility do I have in this? As Christians, we follow one who was scapegoated and summarily executed by the crowds, the religious leaders, and the state as a pressure-relieve valve, but we are called to more of this. We know firsthand what scapegoating can do. It looks like Jesus nailed to a cross. May we not perpetuate that pattern of relieving anxiety and tension and maintaining the status quo. The third detail I notice in the story is that the people are convinced that this is the end of the story and the end of their hope for real change. Their fiery songs of Hosanna and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord have now smoldered. Their hope has turned to disillusionment. Their belief in Jesus as a Messiah has decayed into a contempt for empty promises of change. I can relate to that. It seems like there are perennial issues that we just can't resolve, like the unacceptably high rate of sexual abuse of both men and women, like how patriarchy, sexism, and white supremacy are all alive and well in 2020, like how wealth and income equality both continue to grow in our society as so many parts of our society have been sold for profits like how the overt racism of Jim Crow has become the covert racism of the prison industrial complex and the war on drugs, both of which are also scapegoating mechanisms today. Maybe the reason I'm so fascinated with the people in the crowd is because, really, they're us. Not much has changed in these 2,000 years, and we are them. With one hand we hold palm branches, and with the other hand we hold pitchforks. But the good news is, this is not the end of the story. As much as it feels like it at times, and it really does, it's not. We will gather together again next week to talk about and to practice resurrection, the continuation of the story. But not yet. It's not time for that just yet, because we so often live in a not-yet-resurrected world. That's the world we live in. I hope you all have a wonderful Sunday and a wonderful week. Fran will be up to lead us in our next element of the service. I thank you for spending time reflecting on these crowds and how we are them and they are us. May God lead us as we endeavor to follow the one instead who is scapegoated, taking all of that onto himself and not letting it be the end of the story. Amen.